You are listening to The Political Performance with Casey Bertaki on WNTH 88.1 or The Political Performance, the podcast. Hello and welcome to season two of The Political Performance hosted by Casey Bertaki on WNTH 88.1. This weekly debate and discussion show is back after getting our first season cut short by COVID-19 and taking a break for the summer. If you're an old listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener, my name is Casey Bertaki, and I'm the host of this show. Each week, I'll have one or two guests on my show to discuss or debate a certain topic. If you're interested in coming on the show, please email me at thepoliticalperformance at gmail.com. While the political performance itself is not a politically biased show, our guests will be sharing their opinions. There are multiple sides to every issue, and the political performance does not endorse or side with any particular views. With that being said, Let's kick off the year. Today's topic is socialism versus libertarian capitalism and economic freedom. Here today with us, we have a returning guest, Rocky Shapiro. Rocky is a policy debater for the Nutri Debate Team and a radical leftist. Rocky, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, We also have joining us Alex Aronoff from Choate Rosemary Hall in Connecticut. Alex is the president of Choate's Libertarian Club and writes articles for Isleside Chats, a nonpartisan student journal. He was also the Nutria Freshman Student Senate President. Alex, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course. I'm very excited for uh, this discussion today, and I'm, I'm very excited to be able to produce my show, even though we're not in school yet. So the way that this is going to work is that I have questions, and I will use them to just kind of guide the discussion, but mostly it should just be uh, you both talking back and forth between each other, okay? All right. So my first question is for Alex, and it's to what extent do you think that people should be able to make their own choices in a capitalist economy? Oh, that's a great question to start off with. Uh, So I guess the question that I kind of settle in is what is the balance between ideology and philosophy and practicality? Um, So my ideology would state that as long as you don't violate the non-aggression pact between people, as long as you're not harming anyone but yourself, you can do whatever you want. You can own any type of weapons you want. You can do business whoever you want to. You can pay that person whatever you want to. Um, and that my ideology would state that that would go all the way to whatever you want. In practicality, that's a stupid idea, right? We don't want conventional nukes, you know, the rich having conventional nukes going to war over each other. Um, maybe you can even stem that down to very, very light gun control, which even then I'm wary of. But more, more than not, I stick to limiting freedom to as far of an extent as possible, even beyond practicality, because I think that the ultimate moral wrong is to limit those freedoms. So, so uh, I'm similar. I'm very pro-freedom. I'm anti-state. However, I think that, in my opinion, uh, we value the freedom of free trade too much over other freedoms, and I think... Um, Capitalism is inherently anti-freedom, so I think limiting the free trade, the freedom of free trade in order to provide um, true liberty to people is the most liberating thing uh, any government or lack thereof can offer. So I'm going to ask you this question then, Rocky. Um, What would you say are some of the most important freedoms inherent to society? Um, I'm assuming you're talking about positive rights the right to health care, the right to access to food and water and shelter. Yeah, I really think that, you know, people have an inherent right to live. 
I think um, any society which allows people to starve on the basis that they're poor is a, is a failing one. Um, you know, I think this country, just on like a basis level, like if you don't have the, like if you don't have money to uh, feed yourself, I think the basis, the assertion that they somehow have any freedom at all is flawed if they can't feed themselves in this society. I think they're not free then. So do you think the right to somebody else's goods, um, you know, and their freedom to survive, right, is ultimately more important than freedom to own your own property, to own the own, to own your own right to your own labor, to your own goods produced from your labor? Well, I'm not sure I fully understand your question, um, but I'll try to answer it the best I can. I think that it's not necessarily about asserting the right to own other people's stuff. It's more just, you know, there's a point, like obviously there's a idealism and practicality to both our ideologies, right? And I think just in the, in the practical aspect, I think there's a point where if someone has an obscene amount of wealth and someone has not even enough wealth to feed yourself, then I think redistribution is an inherently a moral thing, even if it's breaching what you would define as civil liberties. I think upholding civil liberties um, is great when you know people share prosperity. Um, I won't go as far to say as we should abandon civil liberties, but you know upholding the civil liberty of free trade. Um, just so that we could have civil liberties while people are dying is a, is a flawed argument. All right. Um, my second question goes to Rocky, uh, and it is, can a capitalist system that helps workers feasibly exist? Um, I would say no. I think that's, um, you know, an oxymoronic statement to say that a capitalist society can help workers. Um, I think it's just because that the capitalist class has to extract a surplus value from the working class. And um, in that sense, then the workers' wages are being stolen. So I think that you could say that like there's a you know, better capitalist society, but I don't think there's a good one. Right. I would say Norway is better than the United States in terms of workers' rights, but I would not say that Norway is a good country. Wow, okay. Um, I, would say, I would say Norway is better than the United States, but for different reasons. Um, anyway, my, my whole point is that I, I feel like one of the problems with socialism is this entitlement uh, to the fruits of others' labor, this... Uh, positive right. Uh, there was a really, really funny situation out of Seattle where Amazon was building a huge uh, fulfillment center right in the center of Seattle. And Seattle started, you know, you know, they wanted to extract money from Amazon. So they started putting taxes on the construction, you know, all these regulations, right? And Amazon just stopped construction and threatened to leave, abandon the project and go elsewhere. Um, and there was all these, you know, all these unions that were having a fit over it, saying that uh, Amazon was abusing their situation and that it was extortion against the workers. I can see a no reality where 
these unions and these workers have a right to work. Amazon is coming here, creating jobs for you, creating prosperity for you, this big corporation, it owes you nothing. It really doesn't owe you anything, right? If you don't wanna work at Amazon, don't work at Amazon, right? No one is forcing you to do anything, right? Um, I'd say that your own circumstance of you know, having to feed yourself, having to drink, you know, having, you know, having to have healthcare is the only thing that's forcing you, but that's not you know, the unethical or behavior of anyone else. That is the behavior of you and you alone. All right, so that's a great point. I'll start first with, I wouldn't characterize socialism as uh, entitlement to others' labor. Obviously, I would uh, describe it as the right to one's own labor, right? I think if, um, in the case of an Amazon worker, you know, they're getting paid uh, 15, 17 an hour, I'm not fully sure, uh, but their labor is worth more than that, right? Um, and what the boss earns more, and Jeff Bezos, they're earning the surplus. And I think it's not necessarily taking Jeff Bezos's or their boss's money. I believe it's taking their money back. With that being said, in the case of Seattle, I think the idea that um, the private corporation should have so much leverage upon the government um, is inherently flawed. I'd also want to point out that the argument that they could simply choose not to work at Amazon, I think, is a flawed one because I think we have to recognize um, that people, A, um, if you are in a time of scarcity, I think if you are given the choice between um, working at Amazon and starving to death, I think anyone would choose the option of working at Amazon. That being said, I wouldn't um, blame that person for working at Amazon if that was the ultimatum they were given. Um, I think even though they, they could choose not to work at Amazon feasibly, I think it's unreasonable to assert that when given the ultimatum between starvation and working at Amazon that it is then ultimately their choice when um, there is no other choice they would make. I think any rational person would choose a job over dying, no matter the conditions of that job. Um, so my response here, you made two points. Yeah, sure. Uh, the first point was about how capitalism ultimately invades government and how capitalists have a huge leverage over government. Sure. That's not a feature of capitalism. That is fundamentally a feature of government. No matter where you are, there are always going to be terrible people who take advantage of their government situation, who get into government, get power, and can point a gun at your head and make you do anything because they're the government. That's how it works. They can throw you in jail for the rest of your life. Your second point, right, and a lot of you know, people on the left talk about this, is the myth of choice. Sure. Um, how fundamentally the market is built in a way where you are forced, coerced into a situation where you don't have choice. I would fundamentally disagree. If you look at before the pandemic, not now, but mm -hmm. before the pandemic, I think unemployment rates were at 3%, correct sure. me if I'm wrong, 3%, right? Um, one of the lowest since World War II, um, one of the most prosperous times in our country, wages have been going up. Um, there fundamentally is a choice. There's actually a job shortage in this country. Um, you can talk about the rise of automation, maybe that taking jobs away, but fundamentally, as long as there's labor that can be capitalized upon, it will be capitalized upon. And I think the myth of choice 
is a really dangerous thing to say, right? Because then you can also extend that to the monopolization of markets, which is fundamentally, again, not a feature of capitalism, but a feature of government. Sure. So I'm just gonna ask Casey real quick. We kind of have two different points at the same time. Would you prefer us to choose one to focus on, or should we just um, go both? It's at up a time? to you. I don't care. Why no, don't you? more interesting. Then. All right. Why don't you pick one and then just like hammer it out? I'll just I'll hold on to the second one because I think this is much more interesting. I think the idea that. Um, it's a feature of government, the leverage that capitalists have on um, the government is a feature of it. I don't think that's inherently incorrect, but I think we need to understand how that is fixed and why that is a problem. So, I mean, we live in a, a representative democracy, right? So we vote for representatives who we would hope vote in our interests, you know? Um, the issue is that those people have their own private interests. Um, and Amazon or any large corporation is able to pursue leverage over people. Now the problem is that um, if you have individuals who aren't elected, like Jeff Bezos or any CEO for that matter, that has influence over the government, um, I'd call that undemocratic. I didn't vote for Jeff Bezos, I didn't vote for Elon Musk, and still they influence our government just as much as any representative would. And I think that's inherently flawed for democracy. So my response to that would be is that I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. The only difference is that I feel as if the only solution, there is no solution. There's no way to hammer out democracy, drain the swamp. The only way to drain the swamp is to get rid of the swamp. You have to destroy the hierarchical government that exists now. You have to take it down piece by piece so that they don't have the power to coerce anymore. They don't have the power to extract wealth from us. They don't have the power to make up uh, crony laws that help big corporations and hurt small businesses. Um, from that same point, um, the whole you know, uh, libertarian left, right, which exists, I think that personally to try and achieve socialism without an expansion of government is not possible. Fundamentally, socialism is about coercion. It's about the movement, the forcible movement of wealth from one individual to another. And to do that, you need a large governmental state. And I think the only way to get rid of that corruption is to get rid of the state. So um, that's a very interesting point. I would first want to address the, the notion that um, the only way to solve it is tearing it down. Um, I disagree. I think like on a practical level, I'd consider myself a market socialist. So then I would say the, the more reasonable solution to um, and more realistic solution, because I don't believe there's a movement uh, possible in the next hundred years that could really get to both either of our idealistic ideologies in America. Um, I think something much more reasonable would simply be democratizing the workplace in the same sense that we democratize the government. So if we voted, um, if workers voted for their CEOs, if they voted for their bosses, um, and the workers had leverage over their bosses just as we have leverage over elected officials, that would effectively solve the issue, right? Because then, you know, 
sure, I didn't choose Amazon in this status quo. You know, I didn't choose Amazon, yet he has so much, yet it has so much control of our government. In this sense, the 800,000 people who work at Amazon then have leverage. They control that. He's held accountable um, for his actions, and that would effectively solve the fundamental flaw of our democracy. So there's two arguments that I would bring up. Sure. The first being that um, actually, if you look at unions, right, which they aren't, they're, they're somewhat enforced by government, but they are a free market entity. Sure. Unions in some states are some of the most powerful lobbyists, private interest groups there are, far, far beyond corporations. If you look in California, which is a beautiful example of this, you have n number one by multitudes you have teacher unions lobbying for higher pay, higher wages, longer shutdowns, right? Um, so I, in that sense, I think that, that this experiment um, of democratizing the workplace has already been tried. And just like with corporations, there's corruption just spewing from these unions, from lobbying in their own private interest. The second point being that if you look at a free market solution, right? Um, if there's a better way to do something, and you can, you can definitely argue this point, um, if there's a better way to do something, the free market has tried it and will follow through with it. If you look at the Forbes 500 companies, you look at the top companies in the world, not a single one is run by a democratized workplace. Now at the end of the day, you can call that you know, some, a few people trying to grab a lot of power or whatever. But ultimately, they work for their shareholders to pay their shareholders dividends, stock prices, whatever. And a democratized workplace just it doesn't run companies well. Um, you can see that. You can look at how corporations are built. They're built around very, very educated, very, very smart people making incredibly hard decisions. Um, and if that's the way the market decides it to be, that's the way it is. Okay. So... Just first on the thing of union, I think that um, calling unions acting in their own self-interest, be it at best a mischaracterization, I think that the private interest of the union is ultimately the, the interests of the workers, which is the overwhelming majority of uh, people at a company is, you know, the workers, right? So a union, I, I understand how the union is such a strong lobby, and I'd say that you know, unions are just as strong of lobby as any other corporation. Um, I don't know if it's less or worse, but I couldn't tell you exactly. But I think that at the very least, it's representing the people, at not the very top. And then to your other point about, um, you know, the sort of drive of capitalism, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I think Mark, Marx himself recognized that, you know, capitalism is a a very strong driving, uh, you know, thing in, in innovation, but just like every other economic system before it, there's a point where it becomes outdated. And the, the, I, the way I see capitalism and most socialists, you know, so capitalism is a very strong start. It pushes us forward, but the inherent like drive of capitalism becomes a problem at some point when um, capitalist business ventures realize that American labor isn't enough, so they exploit the third world. They get uh, exploit Africa of its natural resources. It's inherently it leads 
uh, to us into imperialism, it drives us to go into war with the Middle East because oil companies want a better share. I think there's a point where capitalism is a great driving force. Um, you know, it brought us into the Industrial Revolution in the 21st century, but you know, I have to say there's a point where we have to say this is enough. We're exploiting the third world, we're exploiting our citizens, and it's time to stop. Um, my argument to that point would be, um, if you look at imperialism, which sure. ravaged Africa, mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it destroyed Africa and, and, and has, will have impacts for centuries to come. That is not capitalism. Sure. Capitalism fundamentally respects the rights of the individual as, as an end. There is no violation of those rights. Um, now you can talk about outsourcing labor to China. Um, while it is within capitalist guidelines, right, um, these limitations only occur due to statist boundaries, right? Uh, countries within of themselves are just meaningless boundaries, right? Um, if you look at the actual population in China, you know, yes, child labor, you have people being paid 50 cents an hour to produce, you know, our iPhones. But if you look at the cumulative effect, the price for labor and the quality of life in China has incre increased dramatically over the past, you know, 80 years, uh, especially the past 40 years since, you know, the communist revolution kind of loosened up. Um, quality of life in China is, is really, really going up. I'm not going to you know, say that capitalism did a good thing to China because there's some points where it didn't. But the ultimate end goal to capitalism is an increase in life expectancy, quality of life, la uh, wages, um, and you're seeing that everywhere. India now is having the same thing. China's outsourcing its labor to India because its labor's be become too expensive because quality of life is improving due to capitalist forces. The same thing will happen in India in 50 years. Um, what, what happens when you know, capitalist countries run out of other countries to exploit for their labor. Like, and what it seems to me is America, um, they realize that because of our minimum wage, um, we need cheaper labor than, you know, seven twenty-five an hour. So they go to China, they get cheaper labor. China develops and then they get, they, um, you know, they grow and then they're like, okay, we need to exploit another country. So then India, and you know, probably India is going to grow in the next 50 years, and then um, what's left? There's Africa. Are they, are, is Africa to be the exploited by every single superpower? See, that's the issue, is that it's not a, I wouldn't say it's sustainable. And I'd also argue that I don't think that capitalism inherently respects the right of the individual. I think that um, a system which can allow you know, the exploitation of individuals or entire countries is not one that respects rights. I think slavery is inherently capitalistic, uh, whichever way you spin it. You know, um, indentured slavery um, is capitalistic, but also we have to understand that capitalism puts a price on labor, it puts a price on laborers and at that point you're just treating laborers as slaves as commerce as capital you know so capitalism is built upon the fundamental idea of voluntary 
beneficial interactions. Sure. Um, you know, the United States, we can, you know, go to the example of the United States and China. Um, the United States, you know, let's say we're assembling pencils in China, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the average worker in China sees this opportunity, sees what other opportunities he has from his locally sourced work labor in China, and he chooses that that option is better for him, and he voluntary, voluntarily agrees for this interaction, right? Fundamentally, you have competition for labor, whether through United States companies or the U.S. and the Chinese, right? And you have that increase in labor. Slavery is not an example of capitalism. Mm -hmm. It can't be because slavery is fundamentally not voluntary. We, you know, the slave trade started in the 1500s. We ripped away and teared away Africans from their homes. None of that is voluntary. None of that is beneficially mutual. Um, if, if Africans wanted to come to our country and work, wanted a better life, that's fine. But we didn't do that. Um, and this is one of the original sins, not of capitalism, but of imperialism and feudalism. So then I ask you, how is it a – I just want to get back to this point. If the labor – if the pencil maker has no other job opportunity, then how is it a choice? Like you have to – I think we both agree that one has to work in a society, right? Unless obviously, with the exception of like the disabled, but for generally speaking, you know, one has to work to make ends meet. I don't understand if the pencil factory is your only choice, then how is it a free choice? If you're only given that choice, that is. So this is now like talking about the myth of the monopoly. Sure. Um, if you look at monopolies in America, and this is actually an incredibly interesting point to make. There has never been a monopoly in America that hasn't been encouraged by government or hasn't been created by government. Even Rockefeller, you know, this is the pinnacle of like the monopoly man, you know, uh, showering in oil, right, rich. Um, over the course of that company's, you know, rise and fall, oil prices fell 80%. Um, people were coming, their companies were being bought. Um, as long as there's an opportunity to make money, either to be bought out, right, or to seek competition with somebody who makes um, a product that's higher priced than the market should, than it should be, um, people will take that opportunity. Um, I, I, but the problem is, I think that, you know, the, the goal of capitalism is to maximize profits, correct? Of course. So if gaining control, gaining more control over the government maximizes profit, I don't see why any capitalist would not do that. I, I fail to see, you know, I understand why Jeff Bezos would lobby the Senate because it's best for his profits. I just think he shouldn't be able to. Um, I think it's fundamentally flawed, but I don't see how the free market could ever disincentivize that kind of behavior. So it all goes back to the fundamental theory of capitalism. Government is coercive government is not a voluntary interaction. And that is fundamentally the problem. We as a society agree that some amount of government is necessary to ensure our prosperity, right? We all understand that government is fundamentally a violation of our rights because they can come in and tell us what to do. And if we say no, they point a gun at our head and then force us to, to do what they want. Um, and in that same regard, you know, again, this is the question of practicality versus ideology. Government is, is not capitalist. 
Um, I feel it, it is necessary um, and to ensure the rights of people and maybe a little bit more. But fundamentally, government is not capitalist. Um, it has features that are not capitalist, and I think that is inherently dangerous, not capitalist. So why is it in a private company's best interest then to ensure me the freedom of speech or freedom of religion? Wouldn't it, in the same way that it wouldn't be in the best interest of an authoritarian regime to grant me those, I, don't, I fail to see how it could be the best for profits for a, a capitalist business venture to ensure me that. It's not. Uh, capitalism is, uh, especially if you let capitalists into government, um, it's brutal. Um, but the whole reason we have the reason we have the Bill of Rights, the reason the Founding Fathers spent so much time in the Constitution, is to ensure that those rights aren't violated. Um, I think if there was no government, if we had you know anarchism, you know anarcho-capitalism, where government did ensure people's rights, um, it would be terrible. It would be disastrous. But the compromise we make is we allow the coercion of government into our lives uh, for the trade-off that they ensure our rights from others and they protect those rights from others. Um, so I, it seems like government's the only thing protecting us from capitalism then. Yes. So um, the problem is, is that uh, once you start letting uh, anarchism go, you will have groups and uh, bodies that will not respect the non-aggression pact, that will coerce you um, without voluntary uh, action well, into certain agreements. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of asking, like, wouldn't more government mean more humanity for the, the no, people then? absolutely not. Because then you have the trade-off, right? All right, we've achieved the rights we want, but now there's more and more government that's ultimately interfering with my rights, and that's not okay. Um, you have to make that line as little as possible or you go one way too far or the other. Um, you will violate more rights than need to be and I think that is uh, you know, abhorrent. Sure. So I, I think the, the, the question of freedom is, is very important right now because we both believe that our system provides the most freedom, right? So I think what we need to talk about, I, I really want to focus on like this, this freedom of this either illusion or lack thereof of choice. I just, I just need you to, I guess, reiterate why, like even, a, like how is it that if I have no other option to work at Amazon, then how is that my choice? I, I, I forgot your answer. I'm just asking you to reiterate. Yeah, so um, there's two points. There's the practical argument that monopolies are a myth right. um, and that they only come about as of government in, you know, action. And the second is that, um, you, you know, being hungry, you, you know, being thirsty, you needing access to healthcare only comes about because of your existence. It does not become, it does not come because of the actions of others. And just because that those things exist, your need for food, your need for water, does not enable somebody to force others to serve you, um, to but serve your needs. Shouldn't humans have an inherent right to live though? Like why, why should we promote a, why shouldn't we promote an ideology that gives humans the inherent right to live? I mean, but that, that's, that's where I would fundamentally disagree. I think the right to, li the right to life, right, the right to live and exist um, does not override the right to be left alone, uh, to engage in voluntary coercion. Obviously, that's not a means to an end, right? If our country is starving, 
Uh, I'm not going to stick to that, right? Um, but I think that fundamentally, the more we stick to that idea, um, the more we get, you know, government coercion out of it or um, any sort of coercion by other capitalist authorities. Um, I think the better off we will be. I I, I just want to ask, like, we have the right of free trade versus the right to life. One of them is outlined in the Declaration of Independence, and one isn't. Yeah. I mean, shouldn't we, at, at the very least, uphold the, you know, I don't choose to be born. Neither of us did. Um, but we're here beyond our choice, you know, and we have an inherent obligation to live right now, to at least eat. Um, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would like to, you know, live. Um, and I think I should be granted at the very least the right to live, even if it impedes on the free market. I think that's a fair trade-off. But at what expense, right? You have this right now to somebody else's labor. Um, but it's only my own labor. Uh, it's, it's not just your own labor. Because you are fundamentally to survive, to have food, right? Um, if not through capitalism, right? Not through voluntary trade, you are inherently violating somebody else's rights. You are taking the fruits of their labor for use of your own. Um, and that's, we, we may disagree on this on an ideological level, um, but I personally think that your right, right to life, to live, does not triumph that right. I think people should have the rights to their own labor, should be let to keep to themselves if they so prefer, um, and that the right to your own needs does not triumph that right. So then the alternative is to let people starve them? Theoretically, yes, but if you look at the way capitalism has been working in our country the past 250 years, so far it's been doing pretty well. I think Lyndon B. Johnson's you know, war on poverty has actually made this issue much worse, but you look at the 1800s, if you ignore the sin of slavery, um, if you look at free property-owning white men, which is admittedly a very small portion of the country, um, but if you look at that period, um, I think it was a very, very successful time. There was no monopolies, so to speak, in our country. Uh, most people had access to uh, food, water. Um, admittedly, it was a very agrarian society, um, but you see poverty growth as a function of government growth, uh, especially starting in the 60s. Um, and I think that if you look at that on a practical level, it's not a problem in a capitalist system. You know, uh, the issue is, is that we, we ask at what cost. We see um, Norway and Scandinavia's successful impl implementations of like a more humane capitalism, but they're all built on top of these third world countries and extraction of resources. I think we can both agree that, you know, Africa is not being treated very nicely. And I think that it's, the, it's at the inherent drive of the capitalist to, when there's not enough resource and labor here, to go to another country to get that. And I think that inherent drive within capitalism is inherently imperialist then. If the drive of capitalism leads us to imperialism, like, like you know, Africa or Southeast Asia, etc. So this, is, this becomes a very interesting conversation of uh, at what point does the United States enforce the rights of others outside of our country? Um, how does state sovereignty play into this? What is the rights of states to control their own people? Um, because yes, you're right, imperialism, you know, uh, extraction, colonialism, 
uh, has ravaged Africa. It has destroyed Africa. Africa has for a very long time suffered due to European colonization, extraction. Um, but my whole question would be, what, what do we do about it? Like, what is, what is the United States' response to this? Because as soon as we start dictating, I mean, first of all, there's the moral question of, do we go out there and protect these people's rights? For example, in warfare or whatever. And the second question is, do we do we outlaw that? Do we do we ban the practice of that? Because then you have no resource flowing there at all. Um, and I think just like how China, the quality of life has gotten much much better. Um, I think if you take that away, if you take away that competition, the the money that that's flowing there, um, the outcome might be worse even. The outcome right now doesn't seem very good as it is. Uh, well, first of all, um, to start, I think that it's not necessarily about the solution. I think I'm using Africa and Southeast Asia just to show the inherent destructiveness of capitalism. Um, unfortunately, I don't offer a solution beyond international in intervention which is a whole other thing yeah it's a big it's a big, big so question. we won't get into that but like we look at china i mean we t you're talking about its prosperity but the the average wage is eighty thousand yuan that's twelve thousand dollars i think a society which promotes i think china's worse the average wage is twelve thousand dollars but they also have billionaires i'd say it's even worse in america that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Alex and Rocky, for joining us, and thank you all for listening. I'm super excited for this second season. There's so much political content to cover. I'm also excited because now the show will be released as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other apps, so you should all go check it out there if you're not listening already. Remember, there's multiple sides to every issue, and it's always interesting to talk to people with different perspectives. I'm Casey Rutaki. Stay political. Thank you.